a couple things. Uh, actually, just one. Pastor Dean Sanner, he was with us here for about our, my first 10 years as pastor, and uh, we launched them out to North Las Vegas. They're doing great. They're about to launch a church up in the Sky Canyon area. And uh, amen, isn't that wonderful? But uh, this week, Dean's dad passed, and uh, his dad's name was Glenn, Glenn Sanner. Glenn and Ruby used to be with us, sit back in this area. Ruby is also with the Lord. But uh, Glenn's funeral service will be this Saturday at Discovery Church at 5 p.m. For those of you who knew Glenn, you'd like to come and pay respects at Discovery Church. Pastor Dean's dad will honor him. Uh, this Saturday at 5 o'clock. We're in John chapter 15 and moving into chapter 16 today. I'm reading from the New Living Translation and starting at verse 18 of chapter 15, going to chapter 16, verse 4. If the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me naturally, they will persecute you, and if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the father and will testify about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a little while longer. Father, thank you for the, the marvelous, holy word of God. Give us all a new hunger and thirst for the Bible. Lord, I pray for every one of us here and listening that we won't let one more day go by where we're not reading your word and meditating and absorbing it into our spirit and learning to live out the scriptures. Help us, Lord. This is a tough subject today. Give us a lot of grace as we delve into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said 
Amen. God bless you as you're seated. Title of the message today, Lovers and Haters. He loves them. They hate him. Do you believe that? He loves them. They hate him. I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. I've been a cowboy fan all my life. Actually, my to tell you the truth, my brother and I rooted for the Dallas Texans before the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Texans are now the Kansas City Chiefs. That's why they're doing so well. <laughs> because they were in Dallas until 1962, the year they won. The Dallas Texans were the AFC champions in 1962. That game went into two overtimes. I remember that game. I was six years old. I watched that game. And Abner Hayes was the star running back. And then we went, we had to move from Abner Hayes to Bob Hayes because uh, the Texans left and became the Kansas City Chiefs. The Cowboys were awful at the beginning. Thank you for not making any comments right there. Um, but uh, did you know this? That the first 30 Super Bowls, the first 30 Super Bowls, the Cowboys were there eight times and they won five times. Yeah, we're going way back, I know. And by the way, the Chiefs got there twice and they won once. So if I'm honest, 10 of the first 30 had a team from Dallas in the Super Bowl, just saying. Now here's today's joke. Two years ago, Tampa Bay, they were the representative for the NFC and they got to play a home game because it had already been determined where the home game would be. It's gonna be in Tampa. This year it was already determined. The home game's gonna be in Los Angeles. Well, the Rams made it, so they get a home game today. Guess what? The NFL came out with a new rule from now on so that there will never again be home field advantage, every Super Bowl will be played in Dallas. <laughs> now, here's why I told you that. It was really fun growing up and having the background uh, that I have. Dallas boy, uh, Deacon took me to a game when I was seven years old. He got in my blood, uh, followed them. They had a good career, Staubach, Aikman, you know, all this wonderful stuff. Until about the mid-90s, it was pretty cool. It was all right being a Cowboy fan. But then all of a sudden now everybody has an opinion about the Cowboys. I mean everybody. There's no middle ground when somebody finds out that I follow the Dallas Cowboys, ah, oh, or ha, it's never, huh. always lovers or haters. And on most of the time, it's negative. Most of the time, yeah, because of people like you. <laughs> I love you, Tommy. But um, it's mostly in good fun. Like I was playing golf with a pastor recently, and I have this little Dallas Cowboy star on my golf bag. 
And he looks at me and he goes, he's a Green Bay fan. He goes, am I going to have to look at that satanic star all day long? I was like, yep, <laughs> you better believe it. But you know what? Some folks through the years have been just downright vicious. Now look, Cowboys haven't won a long time. So I don't know, maybe it's because they, they marketed well. And their merchandise is still the number one selling merchandise in the world. They're, they're number one, they are the number one sports brand in the world to this day. And that's probably why they're loved and hated. And then there's that whole America team thing brought on a lot of hate. You know, the hole in the roof so God can watch his team. Oh, haters. Hey, can I give you just one piece of advice? It's kind of scriptural. Hate the team, not the teamster. I try not to take it personal. It's just a sports team. Let me ask you this question. I'm going to name some names and see what you think about them. Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos. Do you just shrug your shoulders when you hear those names? Or does it stir something up inside of you? Maybe some envy, maybe some jealousy, maybe admiration. Well, look, love them or hate them, they're all multi-billionaires. If you had a chance to meet them, would you congratulate them for their enormous success? You don't have to answer everything, Tom. They're just rhetorical questions. <laughs> well, Jeff Bezos, how does it make you feel, the founder and CEO of Amazon, when you hear that he right now is building a $500 million yacht so big that the Dutch city of Rotterdam, where the yacht is being built, is going to have to tear down a very historic bridge, the bridge called De Hef, which means nice bridge. The bridge is one of only two remaining historic sites in all of Rotterdam because the city was bombed by the Nazis in World War II. Here's a picture of that bridge today. It is of such <clears throat> historic and sentimental value that when it was strengthened back in 2017, the city council promised all Dutch citizens they would never, ever again dismantle the bridge. Well, until now, for multi-billionaire Jeff Bezos, I guess money really does talk. In my humble opinion, Mr. Bezos seems to have a pure disregard for others and a pretty deep selfish streak. It would seem to me he's lacking in empathy. Many citizens plan to pelt the yacht with rotten eggs as it passes through the dismantled bridge on its way to the ocean. 10,000 egg tossers have already signed up. Now here's a question, it's just rhetorical. If he allowed his top customers, which probably be, would be some of you, <laughs> if he allowed his top customers to be on the yacht at the time, would you go? Now let's see. I could experience being on a $500,000 yacht, I would love that. 10,000 haters would be throwing eggs, I would hate that. I could be down below where no one could see me. <laughs> Let's talk about empathy for a moment. Here's a great definition. Empathy is the ability 
of one person being able to understand the experience and feelings of another. Empathy is the ability of one person being able to understand the experience and feelings of another. Empathy is a very important human characteristic. Empathy develops in the brain in what is called the anterior insular cortex, which lies midbrain. It's basically kind of just right above our ears. Did you know that dogs have the ability to experience some level of empathy? That's why we love them so much. That's why they're our pets. You know why we don't have pet alligators? Because they have reptile brains. They never experience any empathy. They'll eat your kid, never think twice about it. Now also, crucial to empathy are these things called mirror neurons in the brain, which replicate our brains, observe behavior and emotions. In fact, excuse me. If, if your mirror uh, neurons are working, that makes you yawn when you see someone else yawn. So if you didn't yawn when I just yawned, ooh. Your empathy mirror neurons may not be working real well. Scientists have identified a significant increase in empathy. People actually um, are not taking responsibility in our nation. They're not being accountable anymore. There's a great increase in selfishness, manipulation. So some of these experts have theorized that a lot of this is due to what's <clears throat> been, we've been facing the last 20 years or so, the war in Afghanistan, the economic collapse of 2008, the uh, increase in isolation, the psychological issues that have been caused by the pandemic. There's a, a significant rise, the experts are saying, in narcissism and psychopathic characteristics. There's a 2008 study by the National Institute of Health that says Americans are even now more susceptible to narcissism and developing uh, more uh, psychopathic tendencies. Some of these experts are predicting a rise in serial killers in the year 2035. So about 13 years from now. And, and some of these factors, again, Emotional distance from fathers, that's mostly the reason. Some of it's mothers, but that doesn't happen a lot. Of course, the increase in pornography in our culture, the decrease has come in the area of empathy. They're telling us, the experts, that children are not being nurtured the way they were in the past. They're also suggesting the interruption of social skills in children and adolescents due to the pandemic making the children wear masks and, and experiencing isolation from not being in school, they're saying, the experts are saying, that's re going to result in another increase in narcissism and psychopaths. And when they, these kids become adults, they're not going to feel empathy for others. Now, here's a real misconception about narcissists 
and psychopaths, that they will all end up being serial killers. That's not true. The vast majority of them end up in high levels of corporate, the corporate world or politics due to their desire for power and wealth and due to their lack of empathy. Come on. You've got a lot of empathy. It's hard to get out there in the arena and fight because uh, people are going to love you and people are going to hate you. Did you know that some of the top careers for psychopaths, and I'm not, I'm not calling all these folks psychopaths, I'm just quoting stats, but they say that top careers for these folks are corporate CEOs, lawyers, TV personalities, and journalists, because these careers provide legitimate power and wealth, and these people can leave a whole lot of body bags in their wake. Careers where psychopaths are found least are nurses, teachers, I want to say pastors, okay, that's, that's not, that wasn't in the study, nurses, teachers, and therapists. Here's my point. We need to reestablish empathy in our culture, and there's no better way to do that than following the message that you'll find in this book right here. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he loved you so much that he left heaven to come to earth. He left a life of unimaginable joy, peace, and beauty to become a baby lying in a borrowed manger. Now that's a, that's a pretty good looking manger right there. That's just aesthetics. That's just... It wasn't that pretty. And he lived a perfect life, friends. And he sacrificed his life for all of us in the most horrendous death, the death on the cross. He didn't die for himself. He died for you. He died for me. He died for your sins. He died for my sins so that we could go to heaven. The message of Christ, the message of the gospel is the healing message that can transform individuals and people all over the world. When you read our scripture passage today, as we go through the Gospel of John, and you read that the world hates Jesus, then you also have to read that the world will hate you as well. And what, you know, most of us, we're here today like, ah, can't we just all get along? Jesus and his disciples, they're in the upper room. The Last Supper has just ended. I don't know, maybe, maybe they're already on their way to Gethsemane. Maybe from last week's sermon, you know, maybe the master teacher, it's, it's possible. It probably happened because the last verse of chapter 14 says, let's get up and go from here. And then he says, I am the true vine. They were probably standing in a vineyard, our Lord's favorite Jerusalem vineyard. He probably took them over there, and then he said, I, I am the vine, because that's the kind of teacher he was. So if that's true, guess where they're standing when he tells them you're going to be hated? Yeah, I bet he took them right to Mount Calvary. And so in today's text, just picture them standing there. They don't get it. They don't know. Jesus knows. And he's very troubled. 
because he knows at the very moment that he's talking to his disciples that Judas has already been talking to the the Sanhedrin and the and the high priest and he's already in the process of betraying Jesus and Jesus knows this so the disciples they have empathy and they're troubled because they sense through their empathy that Jesus is going to go through something terrible he, he's he's feeling it right now and Jesus has to stop and tell them he tells them twice do not be troubled have faith have peace. I'm going to give you this gift of peace. It's different from anything that the world will ever give you. I'm going to give you joy that will stay with you through the most difficult trials and troubles and tragedies that you will ever experience. And especially this one that is so imminent, that's just about to happen. Jesus promised them another advocate who will guide them into all truth. And will remind them of everything he has taught them. Jesus has commanded the disciples to abide in him, to obey his commandments, to love one another. And today we have that same provision. We have that same protection that the disciples had. We have the peace of Jesus. We have the joy of Jesus. These are his marvelous gifts that he left us. And they are so valuable to us, especially when we go through our difficulties and our tragedies and our trials. We have the Holy Spirit, our advocate, living within us. We have the ability to abide in Jesus Christ and to know him in such an intimate and personal way. We can feel his love. We know his words. We follow his commands. Now... Jesus strikes a totally different tone, and he has this distinct warning. He says in verse 18 that we started with today that if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. Sounds like a conditional clause, if. In English, that leaves us open to a possibility, hey, maybe that won't happen. He's just doing that to soften the blow. Because the disciples are about to feel it like they've never felt it before. If doesn't mean if, it means since. Since they hate me, they're going to hate you. So let's just look at a little bit of church history the church is born in the second chapter of Acts. Chapter, in chapter 3, Peter preaches this great sermon. By chapter 4, the apostles have already been arrested. These guys hearing this message about being hated, in chapter 4 of the book of Acts, they're arrested and placed in jail by the Jewish authorities. In chapter 5, they're they, they were allowed to get out, but in chapter 5, they're put back in. In chapter 6, we start to meet some of the believers in the early church by name. One of them is named Stephen. In chapter 7, he is stoned to death by a mob. And after a false trial before the Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin, chapter 8, finds a man named Saul spearheading the outbreak against all believers, the outbreak of persecution. 
By chapter 12, the very first apostle is murdered. One of these boys that he was talking to that night, it was James, the brother of John, and he's killed by Herod. So Herod gets all excited, thinks that people love that. So he grabs Peter and puts him in prison, and he's going to do the same to him. But guess what? An angel came and set Peter free. But persecution continued. And we know from history that every one of these young men in this meeting with Jesus, hearing him say, the world's going to hate you, with the exception of John, who wrote this book, he was exiled to Patmos, but all the rest of them were martyred for their faith. And I see what Jesus was now telling them as, again, the other side of the coin, like last week with the Father's love. It definitely has a tough side to it. This is tough stuff. And every one of these guys were eventually hated so much they were put to death. But anyone who abides in Jesus Christ as the branches abide in the vine, are going to be hated by the world. Now, this definitely means that the more we become like Jesus Christ, the more Christ-like we become, the more the world will hate us. And it also means any sudden shift in the direction of our lives towards Jesus is going to attract the hatred of the world. Now, this first statement, as we grow deeper in Christ, we're going to experience increased hatred from the world. That often affects more mature Christians at work or in their families. This second statement is often experienced by new Christians immediately after they proclaim their faith in Jesus. In fact, sometimes it starts even before. I have heard of several instances, I'm sure you have too, or maybe this happened to you, where a young adult is in the process of coming to know Jesus, and all of a sudden, some girl or boy suddenly shows romantic interest in them. And then once that person accepts Christ without even a word being said to them, all interest immediately drops, and the new Christian is scorned and even insulted. C.S. Lewis describes this demonic tactic in his book, The Screwtape Letters. So here's a picture of screw tape and wormwood. Wormwood is the more mature demonic force. Screw tape is his apprentice. And they have cartoons now that they've made of these guys. So um, yeah, wormwood up on top, little screw tape down here on the bottom, and that's his charge. He's supposed to influence that young man for evil. And so, Wormwood tells him, if you can just distract your charge with something ordinary in the day, that's always a good tactic for us demons. And so this young man was starting to feel some conviction. And so Screwtape goes over and whispers in his ear and reminds him, hey, it's time for lunch. And the conviction was quenched before the guy was able to walk down the street and buy his lunch. The hatred of the world comes in a myriad of different forms. The Greek word for world is cosmos. World has a, 
a wide range of meaning in the New Testament from the physical earth and universe to the hostile people and governments at war against and at complete enmity with God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and his church. In John 15, it's these hostile governments, these hostile people. That's what Jesus means when he says the cosmos, the, the world. It's the antonym, it's the opposite, the very opposite of the kingdom of God. Jesus is emphasizing the hostile nature of the world and uses the word several times in our scriptures that we read today. The Greek verb for hate is miseo. It appears 39 times in the New Testament, six times in this passage. It's the exact opposite of agape love. The hatred of the world ranges from the temptation to live just for ourselves and our physical needs to outright persecution, torture, and martyrdom. It, it has a very broad range of meaning. It could just mean coldness, uh, indifference. Uh, it could also go all the way out to hating and abhorring and killing someone. In this scriptural context, the word hatred is described as being active, intense, and meant for injury. Now, one of the most recent examples of this in our world is when, remember in 2020, when they closed down the churches? But they kept the bars open. The hatred for us was obvious. The church is now perceived as a threat to the future of our country. Now, gratefully, we're not at the point of persecution yet that exists in other parts of the world, but friends, it's getting closer and closer. Canada imprisoned several of their pastors recently because their pastors just decided, you know what, we're just going to go ahead and have church even though you've told us not to. And they put some of those pastors in prison in Canada. Did you know that there's a new law in Canada? If a pastor even says the word homosexual from his pulpit, it's a five-year prison sentence. The Open Doors 2022 Persecution Watch List gives the top 50 countries in the world that persecute Christians. For 19 years straight, North Korea topped the Open Doors persecution watch list. But in 2021, due to the rise of the Taliban, Afghanistan rose to the top of the list and is now the number one country for persecuting Christians. According to Open Doors, the number of Christians persecuted for their faith has grown each year since 2017. The number of Christians persecuted for being a Christian increased by 30% in 2020. And the number of Christians killed around our world for being a Christian increased 60% in the year 2020. Now I'm going to show you a picture that just will tear at your heart if you have one. This is a real picture of two little orphans whose parents were murdered. And look at that little three-year-old 
girl just clinging to her four-year-old brother. We have a missionary in Myanmar, used to be Burma. Her name is Joyce Bayergen. We support her. Do you know what's happening there? Probably not. It's not front page news. It should be. Genocide. People being used as human shields by the army. The army walking in and destroying villages, raping, murdering, and killing. Why is that not front page news for us? Because when a nation loses its moral compass, it turns a blind eye to the atrocities happening in the world. I am in touch with a, a ministry that they're, they're tremendous. They're going in to Afghanistan, and they have on their radar 1,300 Christians, many of them that were left behind when the U.S. pulled out, who had helped the U.S. in the, in the war, and now they are target number one. And if they don't get them out, they're all going to perish. Friends, we need to constantly pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are right now being persecuted and martyred around the world. The verb for the world hating us, in the, it's in the present tense, which means that the world's hatred will continue throughout the life of the church all the way until Jesus returns. That's why it's written in this text today in the present tense. Verse 19 that we read earlier says they would the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it but you are no longer part of the world i chose you to come out of the world so it hates you i think the main reason for this is that we believers in christ just by our very presence sometimes we shine light on the world's darkness we reveal that their debauched way of living is wrong, and many times simply because we don't participate. We're not condemning anybody. They're doing their thing. They're trying to draw us in. No thanks. Don't need that. Friends, that's the nail on the head. If you really want to ramp up the hatred, just start calling evil what it is. Evil. Jesus told the religious Jewish leaders that they were whitewashed tombs, all polished up and beautiful on the outside, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. Now, please listen to me. If you have a prophetic motivation and you're going to call out societal evils, which are lifestyles, that are now accepted as good when the Bible clearly says that they're not. Remember, we are not the haters. Don't be a hater. Don't do it with that attitude. We're not the Westboro Baptist Church. We're not going to go out there slamming people. We don't hate anyone. I'm telling you what, friends, right now, this book right here very clearly delineates what is good and what is evil and when somebody just gives in to what the mass mind everybody else thinks and says even when you're doing your best to follow Jesus Christ 
but you start calling what is evil good, when you see someone doing that, don't be a hater. We can bring hatred on ourselves, and we've done it. We need to watch that. Don't do that. Why? We are lovers. We love people the way Jesus did. We love anyone. We love everyone. Listen, if how somebody's living is disgusting to you, be disgusted with how they're living, but love them. Love them. That's what this book says right here. I stand on every word that's written in this book. Jesus Christ chose us out of this world, and being chosen out of the world is absolutely essential if you are going to be a Christian. I, I have chosen you out of the world, is equal to I, I am the vine, abide in me. If we abide in the vine, if we abide in Jesus Christ, it means that we will be chosen out of the world, we will be hated by the world, and to be hated by the world and chosen out of the world means that you are abiding in Jesus Christ, the vine. Now here's the crazy paradox about Jesus and his followers. In many ways, the world showed its hatred of Jesus. In many ways, Jesus demonstrated his great love for the world. But in this one event, the hatred of the world for Jesus is shown in that very same event, the agape love of Jesus for the world is demonstrated. Do you know what that event was? That event was when Jesus Christ went to the cross. The cross is where the hated, the hatred of the world was concentrated, and the cross is where the agape love of Christ was focused towards the world. Can you see those two things going? Here's this huge force of hatred towards Jesus as he hung on the cross. Here's this even bigger love from Jesus going out towards the world. Now, I think you guys all know how much I love semantics. It's not just what is written. It's, it's how it's written. It's the verbiage. It's the why. It's to whom it was written. I love to explore the way that it was written. And so I want to point this out to you today. The Greek verb in verse 19 from the original language is translated has hated. It's very powerful, very dramatic. The literal word order in Greek is this. This is how it would read if you were reading Greek. Me, very emphatic me, me before you, it has hated. So what's Jesus saying? with these particular verb tense forms. He's saying that as believers, we will always continually experience the hatred of the world. But then he uses the perfect form of the verb regarding himself. And here's why. Jesus had already experienced a great amount of the world's hatred, but now he's thinking of the hatred that he is just about to experience later that night and the next day. And what he's about to experience is greater than all the hatred he had ever previously experienced. So he speaks in the perfect tense as a dramatic perfect. He's aware as he speaks these very words that we read today that John 
the apostle recorded for us, Judas is in the process of betraying him to the Jewish leaders. He knows that they are going to buy it. They're going to condemn him. They're going to send him to Pilate where he will be beaten. He'll be stripped. He'll be mocked. A crown of thorns will be placed on his head. And I think that Jesus foresaw the crown of thorns on his head because that was the initial curse that came on Adam. When you work the land, you're going to have to fight thorns and thistles. And so he wore the crown of thorns. And what was he symbolizing for you and for me, even here today, that he was going to carry every element of the curse when he went to the cross? Friends, if you're a Christian, ain't no curse that can stick on you. You got somebody, got a little, a little you, and they're sticking pins in it. It doesn't work. That don't work against us. We, our master, went to the cross and took every curse. So if somebody's trying to curse you, whoa, bounces right off of you, right onto the cross. Julie drew this for us. I said, Julie, I, I need you to just draw a crown of thorns. And I, man, look at that. She's just such a beautiful, beautiful job, Julie. The crown is symbolizing his victory over the curse, his victory over sin. He's being crowned with these thorns as the new Adam. So that's why Jesus uses the perfect tense, a dramatic perfect about how the fullness of the hatred of the world is about to be completely poured out on him. Now he's also telling the disciples and us today. He's telling us that he is completely ready to go to the cross so he can drain every ounce of the wrath of God against sin and the hatred of the world and he's going to take care of it all to the fullest extent because he's going to achieve victory over sin. He's going to bring victory over the devil. He's going to bring victory over the world. And that's how he chose us right out of sin. Amen. Now, most of the time, hatred is a reciprocal relationship. Most people who are hated hate the hater back, right? The paradox of following Christ is while he was hated by the world, he loved the world. He loved the world. He died for the world. Just like so beautiful that the, the Romans 5.8 was used today. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. 1 John 3.1, what foreign kind of love is this? That he would give up his life for his most bitter enemies. He loved the world. He loved the world. He died for the world. He drained its hatred for him fully. He loved the world and died for the world while the world was his enemy. He died so that those in the world who repent of their hatred of Jesus and turn to him in faith, they'll be saved, they'll be chosen out of the world. I, I, I'm not so sure 
this is happening on a wide scale basis, be sure to let me know if it's happening to you. But I hear his name being taken in vain like I've never heard it. Everywhere I go, the name of Jesus is being drugged through the muck. It's used as a curse word. I like when I'm driving out on the open road and I see, I don't know what company it is, but there's a company out there of trucks and it says, Jesus Christ is not a curse word. <laughs> I like that. Amen. So those who abide in the vine will be hated, but you'll also be chosen. Lord, could we just be chosen and not hated? Wouldn't that be a good prayer? Those who love the world do not and cannot abide in the vine in Jesus Christ unless and until they repent and believe. The world loves its own. The world hates those of us who've been chosen out of the world. However, those who hate Christ and love the world are still loved by Christ. Those who love Christ and abide in the vine are loved by Christ, and those who hate Christ and love the world are loved by Christ. Yet these two loves will be very different in their outcome because if you reject Jesus Christ, even though he loves you as much as he loves anyone, and he demonstrated that through his death, if you remain in that condition, you will be judged and condemned for not believing in Jesus Christ. Now those who are abiding in Christ, and you love Jesus, and you're saved, here's what you're going to experience, the direct love of Jesus, the acceptance of Jesus, the approval of Jesus forever and ever, and you get to live with him in heaven, which is our real home. Jesus will allow us to see God and experience the fullness of their love forever. If you are listening today or you're here in this service today and you've never accepted Jesus, I want to urge you to make him your personal savior. Repent of your sins. Ask for his forgiveness. He will choose you out of this world. He'll send the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. He'll intercede for you with the Father as your advocate, your defense lawyer, so you can live with him forever in heaven. Everybody Pray this prayer with me right now. Mean it with all of your heart. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I repent, Lord. I don't want to be a hater of you. I want to be a Christ lover and a Christ follower. Help me, Jesus. Give me your peace. Give me your joy. I know it won't be easy, but it will be the most fulfilling thing I've ever done when I accept you right now as my Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. Now, if you're a